today on Ag News Daily. Then there's the labor part itself, you know, and, and obviously there's a, there's an intense amount of training that has to go on because animal welfare is extremely important to us. And I mean, anybody that has any knowledge of who I am knows that I'm, I'm, I'm quite uh, adamant about that. Good afternoon and happy Wednesday from the Ag News Daily Podcast. It's Ashton Carr joined by Dawson Schmidt. Dawson, I think that that's probably the first time that I've introduced you and actually not tried to call you Dawson Howell. <laughs> well, it seems like uh, you and Delaney have always kind of struggled with my name. It's not anything I've been too concerned about, which I guess sometimes it just doesn't seem like it's always the easiest to say or like the easiest to roll off the tongue. And I've definitely noticed that, too. Why haven't you said anything to me before now, Dawson? <laughs> I, I don't know, but it, it's always worked out. So I just never really you know, thought anything of it. I'm the kind of person that definitely if somebody messes up my name, like people a lot of the time will call me Ash Lynn instead of Ash Tin. And I pause and I say, like, what did you just call me? And I, I will correct someone. So you've got to step it up. If I keep saying your name incorrectly, you need to take a pause and tell me. Well, you've definitely said it correctly. It's just, it seems like you and Delaney always have to like take a little bit of a pause for it. So I just don't know if my name's a little bit weird to some people or kind of what's going on there. I think it's like the the combination of the S and then the C and then the H. It's just a little hard sometimes. I try to enunciate and it's not the easiest to enunciate. For sure, Ashton. But what do you say we get right into the news for today? I say let's go ahead and do it. And it wasn't the best news day. There's not a whole lot going on today, but I'm going to kick things off in Arkansas as their Department of Ag has provided more than $1.7 million to help fund Arkansas fairs this year. More than $700,000 went to county fairs, the four states fair, the Arkansas-Oklahoma fair, and the Arkansas State Fair. And more than $1 million was allocated for construction funding for county and district fairs. Arkansas Secretary of Ag West Ward says the fairs showcase the state's largest industry and help Arkansas youth learn more and become involved in agriculture. In 2021, the State General Assembly granted recipients of construction funding flexibility to utilize the funding to defray other unavoidable expenses and needs due to the coronavirus pandemic. Agri-fair funding is paid to help cover costs of their operations and other fair-related expenses, and construction funding to help cover routine maintenance and improvements to facilities. Ward says that they're hopeful that fairs across the state will be more able to have their scheduled events after COVID-19 forced so many events to cancel in 2020. So I'm very glad that Arkansas is going to be able to have some of their fairs. I definitely missed out on a lot of this shows, at least in Texas last year when COVID really shut them down. So I'm glad that not only are those kids able to, you know, showcase their animals and their projects, but also that people are going to be able to get out, be around others and learn a little bit more about agriculture. And those all sound like great opportunities. And another thing I'm watching that is also bringing great opportunities to youth is that New Mexico's Department of Agriculture will now be offering funding for uh, New, Me New Mexico-based agricultural businesses to bring in internship funding to essentially just hire more interns and get more youth exposed to agriculture. And that will be through the Agricultural Workforce Development Program, or the AWD. 
the AWD program is being created for opportunity to create opportunities for young and beginning farmers and ranchers, including students, to gain work experiences and in the ag industry and turn them into careers and in supporting New Mexico's agricultural future. An agricultural business are those that will be defined under the New Mexico's New Mexico's Agricultural Workforce Development Program as business of a food and agricultural nature. And then New Mexico Secretary of Agriculture, Jeff Witt, said it came out and said that it's imperative, imperative to train the next generation of agriculturalists in this state. He also went on to cite that New Mexico is the second highest average age of producers in the U.S., according to the most recent census of agriculture. He says New Mexico's agricultural or Department of Agriculture will reimburse a participating agricultural business up to 50% of the actual cost to employ the interns, but that will not exceed $5,000 per intern. It also says that a business may hire up to three interns in one year, and the internship must consist of at least 130 hours, and all payments for qualified internships will be made in a, on a cost reimbursement basis following the end of the internship. And then those businesses are required to pay at least a minimum wage and must carry workers' compensation insurance for all interns. So I don't really bring in news from different states, I guess, that don't really involve being closer to where we're at in Iowa in Iowa or just the Midwest in general. But that kind of highlights something that I'm seeing that sounds like something that's going to be a good opportunity for especially young agriculturalists. Absolutely, Dawson. And this is something that I wanted to kick things off with, but I let it slip through my fingers. It's just a small update on COVID-19 as the CDC signed an order determining the evictions of tenants for failure to make rent or housing payments could be detrimental to public health control measures to stop the spread of COVID-19. This order will expire on October 3rd of this year and applies in United States countries experiencing substantial and high levels of community transmission levels of COVID-19. And I think more specifically, that Delta variant is that is something that we have been paying attention to. And I think there's, of course, more pockets of the U.S. that are experiencing a higher level of the Delta variant and just COVID-19 overall. But this eviction moratorium allows additional time for rent relief to reach renters and to further increase vaccination rates. So that's just one thing that I kept my eye out on today. I was wondering if we were going to see anything like this, but from the sounds of it, there might be another shutdown or at least in, you know, those pockets of the U.S. that might be on the horizon, unfortunately. Yeah, I was kind of watching the same thing. It sounds like there's a lot of push pull action as far as, you know, what's going to happen, but I haven't really seen anything yet that's going to be more of a for sure answer. But just one more thing that I'm watching right now is that the smoke that a lot of us have been seeing from the wildfires, we're seeing a lot in the U.S., they're seeing it in the northern plains, from mainly coming from the Canadian prairies uh, with all of those wildfires that have been breaking out. But now recent reports of Washington smoke that keeps arising is kind of threatening the crop in the area. So crops like berries and different different nuts have also been in the line of, you know, potential problems. And Jennifer Shu, who is working with her father in the state, they grow corn, berries, squash, cucumbers, and pumpkins, saying that this is going to be kind of that their crops are going to be kind of in for it with this smoke. They're not really 
too worried, but they're being, you know, really cautious about it. They're just saying that the air has changed so much and it's kind of making them a little bit wary for how their crops are going to turn out. But while the smoke has stayed in upper levels of the atmosphere in western Washington this week, communities in central and eastern Washington are also battling wildfires and bad air quality for weeks. Multiple winemakers are say that they are not quite impacted with their grape, grape production so far, but it's something that they're still keeping an eye on. Washington State University Tri-Cities Assistant Professor Tom Collins came out and said that new research will actually be released this fall that is de- that will detail the impact of the smoke and what it will have on wine grapes as, as well as other crops. So just the latest development with that, it seems like, you know, we're not really out of the weeds here with all this smoke and wildfires that have been going on recently. You know, Dawson, I read an article, I believe it was yesterday, talking about how there's a winery in, I think it's California, that have been using cattle as um, mitigation tools for the spread of wildfires. And I thought it was really interesting. And I definitely want to talk a little bit more about that on the show. So hopefully we can get something up and running here in the next few weeks. But I just have one other story to talk about today coming out of Brazil. Of course, we've been watching the weather down there and what's been going on. And in particular to their coffee crop, there have been some really damaging frosts that are kind of concerning for those producers. They have suffered losses from the frost back in July, and they could receive $192 million in additional financing credits from the Coffee Economy Defense Fund. The proposal, which could be approved on Friday by the government's Coffee Policy Council, was discussed yesterday at a meeting between the Agriculture Minister and Economy Ministry officials. The proposal would still have to get the green light from the National Monetary Council, which is Brazil's top financial policy making authority. But these frosts that they experienced back in July may have hit up to 494, 210,000 acres of Arabica coffee plantations. And that's about 11% of the total area devoted to that specific bean variety in Brazil. 11% doesn't seem like too high of a number, but I mean, almost 495,000 acres. That is a lot of damage. Right. And that puts a lot of you know, price action at risk too, with as far as, you know, maybe higher coffee, coffee costs here in the next few months or the next year. And <laughs> let me say, as an avid coffee drinker, I would probably not want that bill to be raised too much. You know, I am a coffee drinker as well. So I have been keeping a, a pretty steady eye out on that. So, you know, hopefully those producers can get a little bit of help and aid, but we will continue to watch that. Like I said, it could be passed on Friday, so we might have an update there. But Dawson, I am all out of news. What about you? I am all out of news as well. All right. Well, let's get into the markets here as corn was slightly lower, beans slightly higher midday today. So let's go ahead and kick things off in the grain contracts Looking at corn here, the September down four and three quarter cents to close at five forty five and three quarters. The December down five cents to close at five forty six and three quarters. The soybeans September up eight and a quarter cent to close at thirteen thirty two. The November up six cents to close at thirteen twenty five and three quarters. 
in the wheat, the September contract down at seven and a quarter cent to close at seven seventeen and a quarter. The December down six cents to close at seven twenty eight and three quarter cents. In livestock, looking a little optimistic here in live cattle, the October contract up eighty two and a half cents to close at one twenty eight ninety seven and a half. The December up seventy five cents to close at one thirty three ninety five. In feeder cattle, green across the screen here too. In the September contract, up 35 cents to close at 162.87 and a half. The October up 40 cents to close at 165.45. In lean hogs, the October down a dollar 25 to close at 90 dollars and 12 and a half cents. The December down 72 and a half cents to close at 83.52 and a half. Rounding things out in the class three dairy milk futures, the September up 10 cents to close at 16.03, the October closing up six cents at 16.54. And with that, Dawson, I'm going to kick it over to our second installment of our labor mini series talking about the trucking industry and what has happened there when it comes to labor over the past year or so. Well, folks, we're kicking off our second series here in the labor interview with Ty Rosberg, owner of Rosberg Livestock. Ty, thanks so much for joining us today. I know you've had a really busy schedule lately. You bet. Thanks for having me. It's been a little busy, but I always got time to visit with you. (laughs) Perfect. That's what I like to hear. Ty, give us a little bit about your background. You own a livestock company. Tell us what you do and how you fit into the agricultural industry. Well, like you said, I own a, a livestock transportation business and, uh, my trucking's been in my blood for most of my life. My grandfather, Rosberg, started in 1936. And, uh, on the other side of my family, my grandfather, Keating, started in the forties. So I guess you could say I was born to be in trucking and in particular agriculture. Um, I tend to stay more along the, uh, Livestock transportation, and we do do a little bit of reefer, refrigerated work, and all bacon primarily, or a little bit of butter, so two of my favorite commodities anyway. And uh, my son actually runs the livestock division now, and we're a mid-sized fleet. We haul primarily around the Midwest here, uh, whether it's to the packing facilities or bringing feeder pigs out of Oklahoma and places like that back up into the Iowa region, South Dakota. But... Uh, we stay busy with that right there. And, and, um, obviously, as you'd mentioned, the, the labor issues have been, been a big challenge over the last few mm-hmm. years. And I want to get to that in a second, but Ty, I've got to ask this question just because you and I have known each other now for, oh, I don't know, over a year. And, um, I love this story. So I want to make sure we get to share this with our listeners too, before we get to the more nitty gritty stuff, but mm-hmm. you, have been a truck driver for quite a few years, maybe more years than what has been potentially legal for you. Um, Tell us about the story that uh, you were just a young kid driving your first truck on, maybe not on purpose. Yeah, well, I tell you, when I was a young man, my uncle on my mother's side, um, he uh, had a truck line, actually the Keating truck line, which is the one that was came around in the 40s there. And uh when he come back from Korea, he took over that part of the business from my grandfather. And he was kind of one of my heroes growing up. So I would 
spend a lot of time around him and the, and the guys that drove for him. And when they weren't busy trucking and there was trucks sitting down in his lot there, I liked to play in them and pretend I was trucking. And I probably wasn't maybe seven or eight. One time I was in an old twin screw is what two stick twin screws, what they called it. And uh, they're a little bit complicated because there's two gear shifts in there. Well, anyway, I was playing around and pretending I'm trucking and hit a few of the wrong buttons and that track, the truck rolled down over the railroad tracks. And obviously I was in a mild state of panic. I'm thinking, Oh, my uncle's going to kill me. So I uh, figured it out and I kind of went over it in my mind, what kind of things that he uh, does when he's trucking. So I figured out the process and got it started and moved it up off the railroad tracks before a train came through there. And I've never told that story, but it may be a couple different times. So like I told you before, don't let that word get out. <laughs> so Ty, now I want to go ahead and get into labor. What's been going on? You said, you know, over the past year or so that there's been some issues. Can you just identify those issues for us? Well, we've had some serious labor issues and, and uh, across agriculture, as you well know, but uh, transportation being a skilled labor set, you've got more things involved in it. First of all, they've got to be a licensed truck driver, and then they've got to be skilled handling livestock. You know, uh, those things are a bit of a challenge. The big farm families of yesterday don't necessarily happen anymore, so there's not a lot of extra kids coming to town looking for work like there was in the old days. See, a lot of times you've got to train people in livestock and trucking, and that gets to be a lot of a, a, a large challenge because Let's face it, there's a lot of things that you got to know about looking with animals. And, and then obviously the truck in itself is there's a lot of things going on out there on the highway. So dealing with the animals itself, uh, the young men got to know what they're looking for, for stress or something. Old young ladies do. I've had some young ladies that are all hogs and they get to be a little bit rambunctious. So unless you get a farm girl, mostly most city ladies are a little bit apprehensive about a job like that. But uh, we, we are always hiring anybody, so if you do know some ladies out there. But in any event, the uh, challenges that came on through COVID is uh, the hog plants, because they were short of people, they weren't able to process as many animals, so the trucking became less. And a few of our guys had to go on to find, in particular my owner-operators, had to go on to find different things to do during that. And when they left, obviously, they found places to be, so you don't necessarily always get them back. So that shortened our list of people. So then when the livestock hauling did pick back up, we didn't have enough people to keep up. And we're still struggling to find some out there because other things have picked up across there. And and rates have went up for a lot of other sectors of the industry that are a little bit less work on the day-to-day basis. Hauling, hauling livestock is, is, is it's a labor-intensive job. And, and the things you got to know are, are a little bit more intense as far as looking after the animals. So it's been a big challenge to find drivers out there. And uh, in particular, owner-operators, our fleet's probably three-fourths owner-operators. Um, they've, they've usually got uh, more invested in it, so they, they they do a great job helping look after the loads and, and animals along the way. So I, I like to use owner-operators, and it's also a great way to develop uh, young men and, and create a great income stream for a young family man or a young family woman. 
Well, Ty, you kind of hit the nail on the head there, you know, men or women aside, it's hard to get people into this industry. More specifically, it's hard to get people into wanting to work in the livestock calling side of it, just because you're obviously hauling animals. You have to worry about a lot of other factors besides just hauling cargo. What needs to do, what needs to happen or, or how can we go about recruiting more people to come into this as a profession? And how do we make it a profession that people want to come into? I mean, it's not like teaching or sitting in an office that has its, you know, cush perks. It's, it's hard work. How do we get those people into this position? Well, that, that's, you know, that's the big challenge we face here. And, and, you know, just like any other job out there, money talks, you know, so you got to be able to pay people well. So we're always trying to find ways to uh, improve our uh, ability to manage the money so that there's more available for, for the, to pay your drivers or to provide, provide some type of a benefits program. But, you know, when you're a small business out here, you know, that's the ever present challenge is, benefits packages because insurance is quite costly as you well know and then having a labor a job that's labor intense uh, you know there's always the chance that that insurance will be more needed especially when you work at work look at workman's comp or something like that so those are the things that kind of hold hold down what you can afford to pay a driver and uh, those those are probably your biggest challenges on the pay side. But uh, then there's the labor part itself, you know, and, and obviously there's a, there's an intense amount of training that has to go on because animal welfare is extremely important to us. And I mean, anybody that has any knowledge of who I am knows that I'm, I'm, I'm quite uh, adamant about that. And I work in the industry and, and on animal welfare and foreign animal disease issues with Iowa and national pork. And that's all pretty important to me, but it's important to every truck line out there that transports hogs because you're, you're only as good as the quality of work you can provide. So those, these are things that are important and you don't do this job just because there's nothing else to do. It's a, it's just like any other farmer out there. It's a labor of love. Most of us could afford to buy farm ground. We'd probably be doing that too, but trucks seem to get us as close to the animals as possible. But, uh, I think education is going to be a big thing coming forward. And I do, uh, I have talked with people in the past about trying to create better truck driving training schools. Uh, I think that we got to do more than teach them how to pass a test. Um, there's a lot to know when you're out there on the road and there's a lot to know about the truck, dealing with traffic, different types of terrains and situations as well as weather. So I think it needs to be a little bit better training program. Um, I was in the service for quite a few years, as you know. And when we go through the service, when you come out of that, you got the GI Bill. Well, if we had nice training facilities or training schools that actually taught them the specialties of different jobs out there, you know, and and whether it's livestock or any of the other trucking facilities, you know, whether it's a flatbed or a reefer, they give them a little bit better indication of what's out there. I think they'd be able to come into this job and They'd have a, they'd be better prepared. So therefore, they better chance they're going to stay around because they like it. But you know, you come into something hard. Everybody starts a new job. You feel like, oh my God, I'm never going to be able to figure this out. You know, it seems real hard. And then after you've been doing it for six weeks to six months, you start saying, well, I can't ever believe I thought this was hard. And trucking's no different than that. If you're already got a little bit of a head start. Now I started trucking accidentally when I was very young, but then, you know, when we were 16, you know, you, you could haul grain around yet. And a lot of times we'd help move stuff around and in, in, on the farm and stuff like that. So you got to where you were starting to train in the 
moving and backing and coming, you know, the different things you do. And obviously loading, you help that with that on the farm. But those things are not nearly as available as they once were. Farms a lot more automated now and, and, uh, your, your equipment's a lot different. So you don't, and obviously the laws of the world have changed dramatically and in particular the enforcement as such. So sneaking a load with a straight truck to an elevator, like we would do sometimes when I was younger, doesn't happen anymore. And you can't afford the risk of it to begin with. So I, I think that things like that that made it easier back in the day, we've got to find ways around that. And, uh, you know, whether it be for training um, and, and just promotion of the industry itself, you know, the livestock segment of, of America or in particular agriculture is really a small portion of America. Well, just imagine truckers are even a smaller portion when you look at the livestock transporter or even ag in general, grain or whatever. But in particular, livestock transporter, it's because you have a lot, you know, it isn't just dumping a bunch of corn into a box and driving to the elevator and dumping it out the bottom. This, you know, you got to deal with the animals themselves and loading and unloading. And sometimes that gets to be the bigger challenge. And I've wondered myself if we actually had more load crews and unload crews at the, at each end, if that would help with work comp, driver retention, those type of things. It would probably open up a larger segment of people to the driving. In particular, um, you know, if you if you don't have the big strength to deal with the 300-pound hog, you know, most people that might be a great driver aren't going to show up to do this job. Well, so if we had more load crews and unload crews, that might help facilitate that. Uh, people will talk about, well, someday there's going to be automated trucks, so we really won't need to worry about having all these drivers. I don't know. My truck's pretty high tech. I've got some newer ones that do quite a bit of things, but not one of them will actually uh, go out there and check that load while we're in transit. So you're always going to have to have a trucker on board with livestock. Now, that doesn't mean they got to get in there and mix with them unless, you know, we, you do all like calves or something. Sometimes that can be a challenge and you got to get one, get in there and get one up if it's down. But in particular with hogs, they lay down when they're in transit anyway. So you just got to make sure that they're not stressed out or overheated or you know do those simple things like hook up a water kit while you're putting on fuel them are, them are things that pretty much anybody can do and the driving these trucks are pretty automated anymore with automatic transmissions and all that so i think you can follow, find great quality people with minimal experience but you got to create an environment that basically allows that to happen and Ty, I wanted to also ask too, you know, you look at um, labor issues, obviously COVID did not help anything, but from a livestock hauling perspective, what was that like for you guys? Because we heard a lot of horror stories from producers about, you know, trying to figure out how to slow down production or where were they going to take animals that they couldn't take to where they had originally planned to take them. What was that like for you guys? Well, it was it was a huge concern for us because as we're watching them struggle, and obviously a lot of them people get to be your friends, and you're so you worry about them. But uh, you know, as far as the trucking part goes, you know, the product the, when production gets slowed down because there's no facilities to take them to, it slows down what we do. And uh, then you you have trucks. Well, I got to where I was sitting there at my shop every day looking at a lot of trailers parked, and that gets hard to pay bills. And not only is it hard for my drivers to pay their bills and the owner operators to pay their bills it's hard for me to pay mine um, we went through some struggles um, thankfully some of them programs that the government did facilitate you know 
put out there, facilitated the ability to keep uh, the girls in the office here employed. And so you keep the knowledgeable staff that you have on you know, on hand, you, you're able to keep them around. But then I was also my company drivers. I, When it was real slow, I would park them. And uh, then I was able to pay them. We used up a lot of our capital reserve because while the, the, the programs were out there, it still takes a little bit more than what we were getting to, to pay the bills. So um, we used a lot of our economic reserves to, to keep the, the truck line afloat and, and uh, keep owner operators on that we could. So those are the things that were the biggest challenges due to COVID was just, you know, truck retention, getting the bills paid. Um, and then basically worrying about your friends and there's hog, hog facilities all around me here. You know, they were full of hogs and worried about what they were going to do and all those things. And, and so you, you look at it from that perspective, you know, that we, we, we were feeling a lot of personal stress too, but I mean, we, you know, we're Americans. We, we tend to knuckle down and, and work our way through it for the greater good. And, and we got through it good, but problem is, is coming out of that. It's, it's been hard to, to find people, you know, I mean, they went off and found different things to do. Some of the owner operators actually went out and just sold their trucks and found other ways to take care of their families. And, and when you lose good ones, it, that's a hard pill to swallow. And we, and we lost a, a lot of the good ones across the industry. I mean, I'm no, I know I'm not the only truck line that's faced this, you know, I mean, pretty much all of them that I work alongside of with the different producers that I haul for or other ones you talk to that you've known well for the years, we've all struggled with this and we're all still trying to get our guys back. And I tell you, you know, they said COVID was going to change the way we look at business a lot moving forward. And they're right. A lot of these guys are looking for other lines of work and that's changed that mindset. And and, uh, they've found less stressful ways, uh, less demanding and taxing ways to make livings and, and, They've, so they've moved on to different things and it's hard to replace them. You know, it takes a while. You know, I, I was just talking with a, uh, job development, a workforce development fellow the other day that, that specializes in the people that come out of the military, in particular, the truck drivers that come out of the military. And I told him I'd like to sit down with him and, and work more on them. You know, the thing about a truck driver is he's out there by himself most of the day, you know, and it's an independent type world and you get to be self-reliant. And that's one of the great things that a lot of truck drivers like about the job is they don't have somebody standing over their shoulder. But then in the same hand, you got to have guys that are like that, that can, that have the self motivation and initiative to get things done and to look after things and look after the equipment and the livestock and make sure that the job gets done on a day. So those, those are the things that, you know, we're trying to overcome right now. And, and hopefully we do. You know, obviously the easy thing to say is, you know, if you pay them more, they'll show up. Well, you know, that's, that's true to some degree, but it's a labor intense job. So just money isn't going to always pave the way to a bright and prosperous future, I guess you could say. Absolutely, Ty. And if any of our listeners out there are wanting to pave their way in the trucking industry and want to reach out to you about any employment opportunities, how can they reach you? Well, you know, I've, if they're looking to talk to me or my fleet personally, I mean, I, we just call our phone number or look us up, Rossberg Livestock, but, uh, in particular, the whole industry is looking, you know, as far as the livestock transporters, it wouldn't be hard for you to find a fleet close to you right there to, to, to get involved with. Uh, 
A lot of livestock fleets tend to be owner operator fleets. And, and I guess the good thing is, is while you have more skin in the game, your, your check that you can earn is a lot larger as well. So, you know, you're kind of developing business partners and you get to watch guys grow. And I, I don't want to compare truck drivers to kids, but you know, every parent loves to watch their kids grow and, and watch the amazing things they can do and become. And that's one of the reasons I kind of like having owner operators around. You know, you start out with a young guy that's got a thousand questions for you. And you watch him grow into being a prosperous businessman. And and that's pretty rewarding in just watching that happen. So those are the type of things you can do to get involved in the industry. I mean, obviously, most guys start out as a driver because there's a lot to learn as far as taking care of the equipment, knowing where to take trucks. You know, if you have trouble, you know, you can take them to any shop, but some of them shops are going to cost you a little bit. So you got to be resourceful. And so as as a driver, you learn to be resourceful and then you can when you move into being an owner or operator then you're a lot wiser so it's a lot easier to keep your money for you instead of handing it out to everybody else so that's uh probably the advantages to, to coming into something like this and then you know it's that old cowboy mystique uh, hauling transport and livestock around you know people seem to just like that you know that that old cowboy adage or what have you want to say the uh Biggest way to get into it though is just look at, you know, you got to look it up online now. That kind of helps, makes it a little bit easier to look for a local fleet. But, uh, obviously we're all shopping for drivers. You're always looking for good people and equipment's easy to buy. Finding good people is always a little bit more of a challenge. Absolutely. Well, Ty, thank you once more for coming on and talking to us today. It's been really great to hear not only about, you know, your fleet, but really how the whole industry has been operating over the past year or so. You bet. Thanks for having me on, Lee. Thanks again there to Ty for coming on and chatting with us. We're going to continue this labor mini series throughout the month of August. We have some things lined up, but folks, if there's anything that you're interested in hearing about when it comes to labor, definitely reach out to us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Ag News Daily. Or you can leave us a note at agnewsdaily.com. My email is on our homepage if you want to check us out there. But with that, Dawson, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.